tonight. Frank and Mabel were celebrating Mabel's 60th birthday, and they'd been married for 40 years. Frank had just celebrated his a few months earlier. And during the birthday celebration, it was very busy in the house, and so Frank thought it was a good opportunity to go outside in the front porch and just get some fresh air. And that's when his fairy godmother showed up and said, Frank, you've been an amazing husband for 40 years. I want to grant you a wish, anything you want at all, I will give it to you. And Frank said, to be honest, I, I would like to be married to someone 30 years younger than me. And his fairy godmother said, no problem, poof, and he was 90 years old, just like that. There's actually a purpose to the story. When you don't love people where, you, where they are, you get uglier. When you don't love people where they are, you get uglier. No one loves people where they are better than Jesus Christ. And we are living proof of that. What amazes me is not that God loves me. It's that God knows me and he still loves me. He knows my deep, dark sin better than you do. And I'm not going to tell you what they are. God already knows what they are. He knows my thoughts. He knows sometimes my intentions. He knows the sin that I have in my life, the struggles, the hangups, the hurts, all those things. They're right there. God knows them and he still loves me. But God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He knows me, and he loves me. We're all grateful for having God's grace, but the religious leaders of Jesus' day were not grateful about it. They were hateful about it. And in Luke chapter 15, our main text for this morning, it puts it this way in verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and, what does he do? He eats with them. How many lives were changed by eating a barbecue sandwich and corn on the cob with Jesus? We don't know, but a lot were recorded. I think a lot of people after his death, burial, and resurrection could look back and say, I remember the meal I had with Jesus. I remember the Golden Crowd Buffet. Well, they, you know, they didn't have Golden Crowd Buffet. But I remember that meal. I remember gathering around the table with Jesus. And boy, what a difference did it make. The title of this message this morning is Around the Table. We started this compelled series in week one with the biblical foundation for reaching the lost. This church is here to reach the lost. We're not here to gather as many Christians together as we can who already had a church and we try to steal as many sheep as we can. We are here ultimately to go out and do what Jesus did and make a difference in this community. Luke chapter 19, it says this about Jesus' life. The Son of Man, who's Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. Now, Jesus called them lost. We've developed new phrases for it today. We call it unchurched. We call it they're on a journey. We call them seekers. But that's not what Jesus called them. Jesus called them lost. And we learned this. When you say somebody's just on a journey, that takes away the urgency of it. When somebody's on a journey, you say, well, they're on a journey. They'll get there eventually. We can be patient about it. But when, when your child is lost, there's urgency to it. Amen? Amen? And that's the way Jesus approached it. And so we try to recover what we've lost in our theology of the lost an urgency about reaching out to them. So we learned this in week one. We are compelled from the Lord by love for the lost. And then in week two, we started the campaign. How are we going to do that? And it started with prayer. It starts with prayer. 
It starts with putting God ahead of us. We're not going to go out on our own. We want him involved in this. We can't grow anything without him. We can't do anything apart from Jesus Christ being connected to the vine. It is not us who provides the growth. It is God who provides the growth. And now today, I want to take us to the next step of how to reach the lost. I want to talk about the power of a table. There's a TV show uh, that I think it's Chelsea and I's favorite TV show for the last eight, nine years. It is a TV show called Blue Bloods. Anybody seen Blue Bloods? Yeah, many of you. Yeah, New York City, police officer family, uh, at least a legal family. There's some lawyers in there, and so we forgive them for that. But anyway, um, (laughs) I don't know why I said that. New York City, a unique show because Blue Bloods, everything is filmed on location. There's no sets. There's no hidden Hollywood rooms where they act like it's New York City. No, they actually film everything in New York City. As a matter of fact, in 2011, when Chelsea and I were in downtown Manhattan, we saw them filming, and we ended up in the background of a scene because I made sure of it. (laughs) Chelsea said, there's blue bloods. I said, come here. And we went into the background of a scene. Now, it's not a big deal, but it's season two, episode 11. And um, (laughs) we're in there. (laughs) And don't, don't, you know, look, I'm, I'm doing autographs after church, but... But they, they film everything on set. But anybody who likes Blue Bloods, there's one spot that is in every episode for 10, for 10 seasons that everybody talks about. At the table. At the table. They gather around. They, they have a Reagan family rule. They go to church on Sunday morning, which is a biblical good rule. And then they gather around the family dinner table after church. It's a rule. You better have a good reason for missing. They make it very clear. And everybody who likes the show talks about how what grabs them the most about the show is all the family gathering around the table. Sometimes they argue. Sometimes it's not pretty. Sometimes they have some issues. Sometimes they talk about work. Sometimes they laugh. There's a lot of different kinds of conversations. But you have to admit there's something about gathering around the table. Jesus knew that. God knew that. Food does more than fill us spiritually. Gathering together with people around a table fills us spiritually. Even in the most famous chapter in the Bible, Psalm 23, God refers to his provision and protection by a table. Psalm 23, verse 5. Do you recognize this? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Wow. He used a table. Even in the midst of the enemies that are around you, I am providing for you, table. I am protecting you. There's something secure about being around a table. So I got a question. All this table talk, all this food talk, I got to ask you a food question. If, if you had to pick one meal out of all the different foods, that, and, and I'll just narrow it down to three. Let's go ahead and put this up there. If you had to pick one in Texas, in this, in this, in this Southeast Texas environment of fatty foods, would you pick, as your last meal, if you're on death row and you're that guy, Ridgeway, would you pick a barbecued, you know, Texas, southern Texas beef brisket, Stephen, that's what I'm talking about, or would you pick the Cajun that has been introduced to the Bolt family in a lovely way? Would you pick the Mexican food that we have, which is, which is spectacular as well? I just want you to raise your hand and shout, would you pick barbecue out of those three? Just raise your hand, make some noise. Okay, good, way to give praise to God. God, God invented barbecue. How many of you would pick the Cajun out of the three options? Nobody. Do I? Okay, Alicia, all right. Two? Who was the other one? All right. All right, Mexican. How many of you would? Oh. 
something about chips and queso does the body, does the spirit good. All right. So anyway, that's our sermon. Let's pray and go eat lunch. Father, we... Th- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, how many of you want all three? <laughs> Tracy. Her name's Tracy Onerveris. Her address is... There's something powerful about meeting around the table. Here's what I want to point out as I was studying this week. Jesus was a table guy. Did you know that? Jesus was a table guy. Many scholars of the gospel say Jesus ate his way through the gospels. And if you ever read the book of Luke, there's 12 different accounts of him having meals. It is quite remarkable. Luke chapter 7 verse 34 says the son of man, Jesus, came eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And by the way, I think they meant that as a put-down, but Jesus took it as a compliment. And I would love for there to be a day that everybody out there points an accusing finger at Venture Christian Church and say, look at the people they eat with. Look at the people far from God who they associate with, and we would say, you betcha. We're trying to be like our Savior. And so Jesus was a table guy. Jesus ate with sinners at the table. Disciple, uh, disciples learned life at the table. Mary gave extravagantly at the table. The son came from the pig pen to the table. Servanthood is demonstrated at a table. Jesus washed his disciples' feet at a table. He calls us to remember him every Lord's Day around the table. His future promises are at a table. He turned over tables. He reclined at tables. He prayed at tables. He ate at tables. He taught at tables. We are all invited to the table, and we are to invite others to his table. His first miracle was at a party where surely there were tables. The largest miracle he ever performed in volume, 5,000 men, probably 20,000-ish amount of people. He fed people at a figurative table. The central part of every Lord's Day and why I will not miss church is centered around the Lord's table. Jesus taught us humility by where we, by where we sit at the table. In Luke chapter 14, verse 10, it says, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Remember Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he? He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Where did Jesus, what did Jesus do with him? They went into a house where they sat at a table. And we don't know what happened, but Zacchaeus's life was totally changed. When he speaks of the end of the world, Jesus will return. There'll be a new Jerusalem, new city, a new earth, a new city, a new heaven. And he speaks of it in Revelation 19 when he says, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. How many of you want to be there? The wedding supper around that table. I want to be at that table. The meal of all meals, the table of all tables. And then he gives us a futuristic vision in Matthew 8. I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. We're going to sit at a table with some of the great Bible heroes. The night before Jesus' crucifixion, he had one last meal with his friends. They met at a table. And then Peter denies Jesus three times. The crucifixion takes place. The resurrection takes place. Peter thinks he's out. He goes back to fishing, but Jesus restores him. Do you remember what they were doing when Jesus restored Peter? Here's what Jesus' words were in John 21. Hey, Peter, come and have breakfast. I like my Savior. (laughs) He restored him around a table, but it was never about the table. It was about transformation. 
It was never about entering a home. It was about entering people's hearts. And so number two, it wasn't just that Jesus was a table guy. Jesus ministered around the table. Here's a great line. I don't remember who said it, but I believe he was right on. It's not whether your church has a vision. It's whether Jesus' vision has your church. And I think if Jesus were to speak here today and we were to ask him, what's your vision? He would talk about tables. He would talk about the the power of gathering around a table. And so would Charles Stanley, preacher at First Baptist Church in downtown Atlanta. He had a couple years where him and his son Andy were, they were strained relationship. They had a strained relationship. They weren't talking to each other. It wasn't good. It was getting actually even to the legal point of side of things. And they were not talking to each other. And Andy Stanley is very open about this. He doesn't hide this story. So I, I feel like I can share it. But what Charles, the dad, started to do, even though they weren't talking, he started to invite his son Andy to a restaurant every Wednesday for lunch. It happened to be a Mexican restaurant, for those of you who screamed for the Mexican. But they sat at the same table every Wednesday afternoon. They wouldn't talk. They wouldn't look at each other. They would order the food. They would deal with their food. Charles would pay the ticket, and they'd leave. Wednesday after Wednesday, Andy says in his book, Deep and Wide, it was torturous to sit there with your dad for 45 minutes and not say a word. They couldn't even look at each other. But Charles, next Wednesday, hey, you want to do lunch this afternoon? Same place, same table. And after about three months of this, Andy finally broke. And he said, Dad, I'm ready. And they talked, and it was long, and it was hard, and the conversation actually took months, and it took some counseling. But Andy Stanley today has a great relationship with his dad. And somebody asked him, what happened? He said, my dad kept inviting me around a table. And he... He even says this. He says this in his book. He says, Dad, I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you set that. Why would you keep inviting me? I was, I was not good to you. I made those lunches hard. That had to be torturous. And his dad said, you were worth it to meet him around the table. It's amazing what can happen around a table. Interestingly, the first church after 3,000 were baptized, in a few verses after the 3,000 baptisms, it talks about the description of the first church. How did the first church live? Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Every day, everybody say every day. Every day. They continued to meet together at the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, where'd they get this idea of eating together all the time? They were following their leader because Jesus was a table guy. Notice that phrase at the end, the Lord added to their number. I don't think that was a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence that the beginning says they ate together, they opened up their homes, they opened up their tables, and the Lord was adding together daily those who were being saved. You think that's just ironic? I think the world, in a lonely world where there's millions of divisions and barriers and skin color, so we put up a wall, socioeconomic, so we put up a wall. You live on the wrong side of town, so we put up a wall. You speak a different language, so we put up a wall. The church historically has torn down those walls when we follow our Savior. And he says, when they ate together daily, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So here's, here's what I learned. I, I wrote this down this week as I was just jotting. I wasn't even going to share this, but this is what I wrote down. Relationships are started. Conversations are begun. 
And eventually new life is found around the table. Starts with a relationship. It starts with opening up your home. It starts with gathering people around the table. And I'd like to say this. This isn't my challenge. I believe this is the Lord's challenge. The Lord wants you to open up your home. And the Lord wants you to open up your table to your neighbors. He does. Well, Nathan, you don't know who my neighbors are. <laughs> my neighbor has a dog that puts in the back that barks all night long. My neighbor doesn't put up their trash can when it's supposed to be put up, so I back into it when it scoots over in front of my driveway. My neighbor shot off fireworks on New Year's Eve and kept my baby up all night long. My neighbor is nothing like me. They don't look like me. They don't talk like me. They don't act like me. And I would say, that's the point. <laughs> Your neighbor in heaven may not look like you either. Pretty likely, every nation, every tribe, every language is going to gather in heaven Here's the truth. You don't get to decide who your neighbors are, but you do decide what kind of neighbor you're going to be. And I believe the Lord is challenging us in this time in the year 2020 in a day that we specialize in keeping people out. Have you noticed how we keep people out? I mean, we do everything we can to not associate with other people. You can go grocery shopping and never leave your vehicle. I'm not putting it down. We do it, because if you have a three-year-old, you do it. <laughs> if you have a three-year-old during that time. I'm not putting that down. You can go get food and go through the drive-thru, never have to go in and talk to anybody. We put up backyard fences so nobody can see in. Whereas we used to do the front porch, now we do the back porch so, no, so we don't have to see anybody and they don't have to see us. We make sure there's security system, and <laughs> in our neighborhood, you need a security system right now, but we put up a security. You can't get in, but historically, God's people have allowed people in, and that's what we are called to do. In a world that is specialized in keeping people out, the people of God should be the ones allowing people in, and just in case you're wondering, this was the church growth strategy of the first century. It was a word called hospitality. Have you heard of it? Hospitality. If they were to answer the question, how did your church grow, they wouldn't have pointed to a program. They wouldn't have pointed to a book. They wouldn't have pointed to a conference. And they wouldn't have pointed to a meeting where they put their smart heads together. They would have pointed to shocking the world with hospitality. Who else was taking care of the orphans but the church? Who else was creating hospitals but the church? Who else was going out to the woods to grab little baby girls that were thrown out in the woods to die in the woods because they were born a girl in the Roman Empire because they were devalued and not, not wanted the church? And they would grab those babies and pull them in and create the first basically orphanages of those days. They shocked the world with their hospitality. I believe we are called to do the same thing. And I believe the Lord is challenging this church to do the same thing. And here's why. Programs don't make disciples. Programs make programs that we can brag about. Big buildings don't make disciples. Big buildings create a building you can drive by and go ooh and ah and brag about. Disciples make disciples. Always have and always will. Romans chapter 12, verse 13, we are commanded to this, always be eager to practice hospitality. And what that means to me is that we look down our street and when somebody moves in, they're getting invited to our house. Always 
be eager. Always be eager. Say it with me. Always be eager. You move into our street, we're on you. <laughs> because he says, always be eager to practice hospitality. First Peter chapter 4, verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Because what can happen is Nathan can preach a sermon on it, we go, oh, fine, I'll open my home. This is ridiculous. With grumbling. He says, offer hospitality without grumbling. It's not a have to, it's a get to. This is even, you say, how important is this? This is a qualification for an elder. In Titus chapter 1, verse 8, when he's going through the list of qualifications, he, in the NIV, he must be hospitable. In the New Living Translation, he must enjoy having guests in his home. In the first century and in the 21st century, you weren't qualified to be an elder if you didn't do that. So here's what's happening right now in the crowd. There's two things happening. You're looking forward to the sermon getting over. But number two, <laughs> you're formulating 1,000 excuses why this isn't for you. Let me go through some of the excuses. Excuse number one, I don't have a table. I, I had somebody tell me that about four months ago. We don't have a table, so we can't do this. <clears throat> Jesus didn't have a table either. He didn't have a home. He didn't have a place to lay his head. And he exampled and modeled hospitality. So don't tell us you don't have a table because there's other ways to be hospitable. Excuse number two, I don't have the money. And this may be legit. I can't buy the, you know, the, the chicken thighs and I can't buy the this to, to set up the meal. If that is true of you, let me just tell you how, how big of a deal this is to Venture Christian Church. You bring us the receipt of your grocery bill, the church will cover your meal. We will reimburse you if you invite your neighbors and open up your table. So you can't take that one. Excuse number three, I'm not good at hospitality. I'm not either. My wife is. I'm not. But God didn't command us for those who are good at hospitality. Open up your table. He says, always be eager. You just do it. It's not about getting an A-plus at Hospitality University. It's about loving and caring for your neighbor. Excuse number four, and this is the big one. I don't have time. Would you turn to your neighbor and tell them how many hours are in your day? Just turn to your neighbor and tell them how many hours are in your day. Twelve. I've been down to twelve for a while now. And the answer is, you have the same as your neighbor. Here's the truth. You make time for what's important to you. Everybody does. And so here's my challenge. If you don't have time, which your schedule right now may not have time, you need to create margin in your week for this. You need to reorient your week. If you are so busy that you can't love your neighbors, you are wrong. You're setting up your week wrong. The greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. You need to create margin in your calendar to have your neighbors over. Now, I just got a thought. It's just a thought. My thoughts are not usually correct, according to my wife. But here's... Here's my thought. I don't know. Why, why am I saying that? I, I love you. Happy anniversary. It's not until August. But anyway, um, what if, just, 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 just what if, is it possible that God put you where you are today on purpose? 
in this place in this time, and he has your neighbors there on purpose, and that was part of his God's sovereign plan? Is it possible he put somebody living on four different sides of you who he knew, man, if you would just create the margin in your week to love them, invite them over, they need somebody to talk to, they need a friend, they have been seeking me, I put you there at that address, at that garage, at that front door, at, in, in that yard, on that street. Is it possible that God has you where he wants you right now? I would say it's not only possible, it is probable. And all he's saying is, man, Get rid of your busy schedule one night and open up your table. We committed early on, a year and a half ago, that every week we're going to have one night where we have neighbors over for dinner. Probably in the last year and a half, there's been a handful, probably come on one hand, of weeks that we, were not, that we did not do it. We have created in our week, this, is part, this isn't part of a method, this, isn't, this is part of living on mission with Jesus, we believe. It's that important. We say no to other events to keep this in our week. We have neighbors in our neighborhood over every single week. I'm not telling you to do something that we're not already doing. So I, I want to show you this number up on the screen. Here's the number. This is our impact number that we shared last week, 163. This is not how many people have visited Venture Christian Church. That number's in the upper 200s in the last year. In the last year, since this church launched, since this church is grand open, that's the amount of people who have called Venture Christian Church their home church. That's the amount of people who've either jumped on a team or jumped in a group or come every Sunday and said, this is our place. This is where we go on the Lord's day. Now, over 60 of those people have moved on because of job relocation so that we've had people move to Laredo and Dallas and other sinful places to live around Texas. But... Over 60, I mean, they're just crazy, have, have moved away. That's how many we have reached and had an impact, an every Sunday impact on in the last year. To God be the glory for that. Put your hands together if that's just not amazing to you. You couldn't have convinced me that that would have happened in the first year with the parachute plant. But 163, so Doug and I, about two months ago, sat down on a piece of paper. We wrote down every name, so your name was written down, and we asked ourselves, how did, they, how did we make that connection? And some it was invite cards, and some it was a flyer in the newspaper. There's a few who was this or that, social media. More than any other by far, it was because of a meal. Because they were invited into a home around the table. Church, if we want to double that in year two, it's not going to be because of any sermon I preach. It's not going to be because of any lyric that Doug sings. It will be because of you opening up your homes and opening up your table. If we want to get to the next step, we're challenging you to do that. And so as our piano player, keyboard player comes to play, whatever instruments we have, there's a song that we used to sing about 20, 25 years ago. Some of you will remember it. It got overplayed, so churches stopped playing it. You know that can happen sometimes, right? But I think it was by Audio Adrenaline. It was a house called Big House. And here's the lyrics. Come and go with me to my father's house. Come and go with me to my father's house. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. A big, big table with lots and lots of food. A big, big yard where we can play football. A big, big house. It's my father's house. That's what we're all invited to. Aren't you grateful for that? 
We're invited into the Father's house. We're invited around his table. I can't tell you how many. So this is my 20th year of preaching ministry this May. I can't tell you how many people in 20 years I have sat around a table with and talked about the gospel of grace. I can't tell you how many people have been led to the cross around a table. I can't tell you how many men who are big, strong, never cry men have shed tears around a table with me because for the first time in their life, they broke down and they humbled themselves and they said, I need a savior and it's Jesus. I can't tell you how many women have said, you know what, the wall that I put up because of harm that was done in the past, because of whatever happened in the church in my past, because of this event that happened in my past, I've said no to God. I've said God can't be real. I said no to the church. The church is hypocrites. The church is this. The church is that. We've heard it all. God's heard it all. I can't tell you how many women have said enough. God loves me just as I am. And I love him too. I can't tell you how many families have come to salvation around a table. As I look back at 20 years, I remember tables more than I remember sermons. I remember tables more than I remember church services. Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, Thursday nights, Friday nights, around a table. I think Jesus would say the same thing. If he was to look back at his ministry, he would talk about the tables. He would talk about the meals. He would talk about the togetherness. And maybe that's you today. Maybe this is your day. God has been reaching out to you your entire life and you've put up a stiff arm. No. And as he's been reaching out to you, maybe today is the day that you finally reach back for the first time in your life and you believe, repent, confess, and be baptized and follow through what Jesus has asked you to do. He has invited you to his table. Let's pray. Father, we learned today of something that I think we have forgotten in our modern, whatever it is we're doing with church in the Western world. We are really good at conferences and books and programs, but that is not what we see in the scripture. We see love, we see hospitality, and we see open tables. Father, I want to live on mission for the rest of my days. I want to be opening up my homes so that we can open up hearts. I'm praying today that my church friends, my church family would join in on your mission. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.